is Urban Next Exchanges, a podcast by UrbanNext.net, the digital platform that aims to expand architecture to a thing cities. You are listening to an episode of Intertwined Environments, a series hosted by Martha Thorne, Dean of IE School of Architecture and Design. Each session explores the role of designers working on building sustainable cities on different scales. Welcome to the fourth session of Intertwined Environments, the series in which we discuss the natural, physical, and digital environments and the specific ways that these can respond to current and future challenges. One of the most important skills that architects need to develop is leadership. Michael Green and Geronimo van Schendel are two inspiring voices that encourage young architects to dare to take risks and think outside the box. Michael Green is co-founder of MGA, an experienced practice that contributes to community through excellence in design and innovation. He is an award-winning architect, speaker, and author, known for using design to create meaningful, sustainable built environments. A leader in wood construction and innovation, Michael is a fellow of the Royal Architectural Institute of Canada and a recipient of an honorary doctorate degree from the University of Northern British Columbia. He lectures internationally on the subject of mass timber and building technology, including his TED Talk entitled, Why We Should Build Wooden Skyscrapers. Geronimo van Schendel is the director of the Master in Business for Architecture and Design at IE School of Architecture and Design in Madrid and Segovia. He has worked with some of the most renowned architects in Spain. And in 2020, he founded Buildia, a platform for integrated procurement in construction. His teaching and independent work is focused on identifying scalable entrepreneurship opportunities at the intersection of design, architecture, engineering and construction, and technology. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. We're living at a time, uh, probably in history because of evolution, with extraordinary resources and, and tools, but at the same time with very urgent challenges as other times. And certainly the environment being one of the most urgent ones, probably. And as you know well, and your activity is directly related to, you know, architects are an obvious part of an industry that produces a vast amount of carbon emissions and other types of wastes. And that at the same time plays an irreplaceable role in the quality and the very creation of the environments we live in. And it seems like we've been working in a trap uh, for, for many, many years uh, in the sense that humanity pushes forward. I mean, we need to advance, produce industrial processes to, you know, to meet the needs. And to, to give one example related with our field, like uh, affordable housing is one. But on the other hand, everybody has that consensus that you know, the impact of these somewhat inevitable processes is there and that we need to make, make things differently, but we haven't yet found as a realm a sufficient lever to make a shift in the systems in inertia. Yeah, and I think you summed it up really well. It's a time of great opportunity and great um, technology that allows us to address things in new ways and in faster ways than ever before. But we also, you know, really only over the last couple of decades have realized that the way we have been doing things has been so unhealthy for the environment, so unhealthy for the planet, so unhealthy for, you know, even from a social point of view, a social impact point of view. So 
you know, so much pulling us apart as a, as a planet into haves and have nots and mm -hmm. hasn't been really solving a lot of these very big problems and challenges that need to be solved. And that, you know, that means creating a healthy nurturing place for the planet and a healthy nurturing place for all of the people on the planet in harmony. And um, I've really thought of that challenge as being something that architects have to play an instrumental role in leading us through. You know, yeah. about half, lots of your audience will know, about half of climate impact comes from the making and operating of buildings. And yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize that it's almost half. It depends where we are in the world, maybe 40% if we take the whole world, but some parts of the world, like North America, where I live, it's half. And so if, if our industry has this big footprint of, of being almost, you know, 40% to half the problem, then we have to have a bigger voice and take the challenge with, a, I think, a greater, greater sense of urgency. Actually, uh, when, when one thinks about those figures, you know, what comes to mind is that at one point, the culture of balance with the environment should be so strong, not only in our profession, but in our industry, to be comparable with, for instance, structural integrity. So that, you know, people, not only we should try to reach always at that level, but also even like investors, developers, and even society would, you know, want to expect from a building, you know, not only that it doesn't fall in your head, but at the very same level, uh, that it's the most possible, you know, sustainable. We're starting to realize, uh, you know, that we need to be part of that change. So there's, uh, in a way, a sort of cultural shift. And I think that together with that cultural shift, there are obviously technological factors. And um, in that sense, you know, not only industrial processes, but also the digital technology, speaking about MGA and, and the relationship with Catera and the way, uh, you know, they approach and you approach the impact and the creation of the built environment as a whole value chain. So it's not only I'm the architect, I'm designing this building, but I'm acknowledging and, and actually very, you know, uh, embracing the idea that I'm part of a wider process, much wider process, and that I need to somehow coordinate myself with a bigger agent that is able to also control, well, that's an approach, control the whole value chain uh, so as to reduce from sourcing to implementation to reduce its footprint and its impact. I've always really loved the fact that the word architect, be an architect, but the, to me, one of the singular meanings of that word is leadership, to gather together the issues of a problem to design a building to gather together the engineers and to gather together the, with the contractor to create a vision and to encourage everyone to follow that vision through leadership and when you think about that word and that role that we should have that leadership should not stop at the door of building one building at a time it should be um, our role in really seeing that we have a responsibility to our communities and to the planet to be leaders in our communities, to be leading voices and changes at all levels of society. You mentioned leadership. You know, I'm very interested in that notion, also in the, the capacity of agency of the architect. And I think it's also a matter of self-awareness as well in our, in our profession, like knowing what are our skills and using them better. And I think one of those skills that is very embedded in what you just said is systemic thinking. So in that sense, um, I'm I'm very interested in the notion of versus leadership, the notion of creative leadership. And that has also a, a lot to do, you know, with that uh, spark or, or that vision that you mentioned, especially when it comes to, you know, giving shape to something. I think we're at a really important time where, and I think this is a generational shift happening now. One of the great values we bring as architects and designers in general is that we are trained around process. 
but the process of design has evolved a lot, I think, in the last 20 years. And part of that is a kind of um, democratization of the process that mm-hmm. has allowed more and more people to contribute ideas into the making of space, place, buildings, objects, and changed generationally quite a bit about the influence of you know, younger architects. And what I think is really wonderful and, and positive in the change is that I think for a long time, we saw architecture as this sort of iconic leader figure that, you know, the Frank Lloyd Wright, the Corbusier, yeah. the, the author that, and, and, then, and then the millions of people that actually are working in the background to make his vision real. Whereas in reality, I think a truly meaningful, impactful design practice has takes these voices from throughout the firm or throughout the community or throughout the engineers and all the other collaborators and does the best job possible to bring together those voices, listen to the diversity of thought, consider, you know, the unique character of those voices, you know, diverse backgrounds and races and genders and and sexualities and how all of those things that are existing in society and then inform good design and make a great building. That new way of working together is shifting dramatically in this profession, and it's resulting in much more impactful results that are less about iconic buildings, which remain important. Iconic buildings that are highly individually crafted Instead, they're buildings now that, you know, we're moving to to honoring the fact that impact for the majority of the globe is actually more important than the minority. That as architects, we're we're not just serving 1% of the planet. We're not serving the 1% of the wealthy. We have Mm -hmm. this great responsibility to serve the entire planet. And I think this new way of working in a more collaborative way and the younger generation that actually has more agency than ever before in the practices of design they're reshaping our role in society. They're reshaping the impact of design. They're reshaping the end result. And what all of us in the in the community need to realize that our process is unique. It has a huge value. It's not about the end product. It's actually about how we get there and we can apply it to all kinds of different problems from a building to a city to climate change. Sort of climb back the value ladder and, and start asking questions that other domains somehow uh, were asking uh, alone before what we got basically the project brief while sitting on our chair and waiting for that. Just right, in, in right. like claiming it, you know, going out in the dark forest with the spotlights turned off and like searching for those for those problems, asking those questions, taking those initiatives and, and basically doing, you know, that mediation between whether it's natural resources, digital resources and the physical or, or built uh, resources to, to produce innovative solutions but there's still always you know that that tension a number of offices that are under that authorship model that works like a pipeline versus uh, that co-creation that works more like a matrix or a, or a platform in the way that ideas you know that are put together and in the way the questions are put basically because it's not only the architect but but other profiles uh, that are adding their their expertise at this very same level and that's in a way, also helping to expand the role of the architect. I'm thinking, for instance, you know, two examples that we've seen uh, to recently, uh, you know, the dynamic streets by, by Carlo Ratti. It's, obviously, it has to do with spatial design. Obviously, you know, it has to do with that urban perspective, urban understanding. And yes, it is a question that an architect somehow is, I would say, especially entitled to us, but also the very definition of that essential, you know, what the dynamic street is, what technology can do for that, 
And uh, that, that's a layer that's on top that if you don't allow other people that control that in a way better than you were, at least at the same level from another perspective, that would never happen, right? The building and the way we are celebrating it in the, meet, in the architectural press, the architectural award systems is stuck in a kind of era of the iconic sort of solution, not the iconic process. You know, time, time has run out on many of the problems we have, right? Population growth, affordable housing, as you said, is, is, you know, is a problem in every part of the world. The cost of buildings, environmental impact of buildings, these are massive, massive problems. And time is, the clock has run out for us to be staring at our navel and, and focusing on these sort of, you know, high-end museums as being the, the important conversation of our profession. And, and so that responsibility lies on the shoulders of all of us to yeah. promote each other, to talk about companies having impact, companies that are bringing purpose to, the, to their process and sharing their information. You know, I think of companies like Mass Design that are seeing their voice as having um, a chance to have a bigger meaning. And, and I think this is the shift, right? And I think that's the exciting shift. The challenge becomes, how do we get there? How do we encourage yeah. each other? It comes from schools. Certainly the conversation you're having at your school and is incredibly important. I couldn't agree more. It's actually quite interesting that you mentioned Mass Design Group because quite recently, last week, we were uh, having a, a lecture and event with uh, Christian Benimara, who's their managing director in, in Kigali. And he was sharing, you know, as part of the Master in Business for Architecture and Design, not only sharing their, what they do, but actually how they have shifted the model of uh, traditional architectural practice to be able to make viable the impact and the role of the architect in a territory and with different countries in, in Africa, with great architecture, uh, with a model that one would say, you know, it, it should be in a, in a magazine, but actually it's not. It's actually working for key problems in very, um, in environments that are very scarce in terms of resources, doing great architecture because they've opened that model uh, and because they're collaborating with different institutions. If, if it's about health, it's about bringing people in that knows about that. It's about bringing, you know, supporters. It's about bringing the citizenship. I think for me, one of the things that they do is that they've decolonized the concept of how they do that, right? It's not to come in and say, you know, to arrive in Africa and say, this is, you know, we understand the problem. We're going yeah. yeah. to show you the solution. To the contrary, they've recognized that great designers, great ideas, great leaders are in every corner of the planet. Yeah, exactly. They've done a terrible, terrible job as a profession of celebrating the diversity of great ideas from different parts of the planet. Yeah. You know, we're we're so Western centric in our thinking. In a way, the Aga Khan Awards have done a good job of reminding us that great design is happening in parts of the world that, that don't get the world stage. But Mass has has recognized that this is about elevating and supporting great thought, great thinkers from all over the planet, and and mm -hmm. collaborating with those great thinkers and 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 cross pollinating ideas from one culture to another to benefit all. There's another component to it, uh, not necessarily of mass, but of other, you know, multiple other uh, practices. And that is connected to that changing in the notion from author to, to co-creator, which is also understanding that business, the world business in a way is, is, has been demonized in our profession, I would dare to say for years, but it, it can actually be understood as a, as a tool for positive impact. It's not about getting bigger because you want to get bigger. It's about structuring in a way in which you can address these big problems, right? It's not business or design. It's, you know, business and design are stronger together, are really, really stronger together. One is enabling the other and vice versa. 
I very much share your attitude towards this. And it's interesting that, you know, from time to time I'm asked to teach and typically it's to teach a design course because obviously, you know, I'm a design architect, but, mm. but the honest answer I typically give is the one course I want to teach in university is professional practices in business. Yeah. And the reason is that this is not entirely fair, but it's true that there are a million great designers in the world. And there really are. There's just such incredible talent yeah, all yeah. over the world. But a good designer with an aptitude for business is the change agent we need, right? Mm -hmm. You know, at the end of the day, you have to be able to function as a business to make impact. And so understanding that also becomes opportunity, right? And yeah. what... I think is equally important is that, and where architects, especially young architects coming into the profession, they bring not just this design talent, but a goal to make a difference in to society. They Their values are strong coming into the profession. And all too often, as we see architects work through the profession, they end up at you know, the big company that lacks purpose, that's just cranking it out, that's just building stuff without a lot of heart in it. And the soul of what we are doing is, is boiled away. But when you combine three components, an ability to have purpose, ability to design with impact, and ability to do so and make money in the process, you will go a very, very long way. And so the more time we spend teaching designers the importance of business, the better, I think. And the bigger our voice will be and the bigger our impact will be. And the more design will be valued in society. Let's face it, you know, it's design professions are paid very low compared to many professions. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think, I think all too often we love what we do so much that we'll practically do it for free. That's on us. That's our fault. But that changes because we realize that actually, no, we're important. We have value. We're going to show that value. We're not going to be, you know, people that are putting wallpaper up. We're actually trying to make the world a better place and we are leaders and therefore our value to society is worth uh, being compensated for fairly. I often talk with my team about the idea that standing on the sidelines with a picket sign complaining about the environment, the pipeline, the social justice issue is of course important, but it yeah. doesn't actually change a lot. Being standing in front of the boardroom, in front of the CEOs, and demonstrating how doing the right thing by the environment, doing the right thing around an issue will make them more money. Using design process to show how you can make more money by doing good things is something we can do as a profession. This is our skill set. This is leadership. So often there's like, you know, I think of students that have these amazing ideas, but we all sort of smile and say, well, you know, unfortunately, no one's going to pay to build that. I think we should actually flip that upside down and say, we as designers should actually invent the business model that pays to fund that. Sure. That yeah. if we see, and, and, and this is where we as a profession, I think, need to gather our voices. Our strength is in our community. Our strength is if we can find issues where we all share the same value, then we can harness the scale of our voices together to make the change happen. And I think that's where entirely new business models for community change can happen and really realize a lot of these very visionary projects that all too often are only on paper. One of the things 
we do at the school a, a lot is cross-disciplinary conversations within, of course, outside the field as well, but also within the field. Like, for instance, something architects don't do as often as one would want is having in-depth conversations about what is valuable between, you know, for instance, uh, real estate developers or, or built environment investors and technology companies in the built environment and, and ourselves, right? And in those conversations, there's always something very, very interesting about the notion of value of design, which is also an idea that more and more sort of obsessed in, because I think the, the better we understand value of design, the better we frame that, the better we communicate that, the better we will be able as well to define what is an architect in today's time and in 10 years from now and 20 from now. In the school, we have conversations about uh, with students uh, in the Venture Lab, for instance, we have some students trying to solve the issue of affordability of construction materials in informal housing in Peru. Uh, in this case, this is a project, and it's very interesting because it's not about you know making an efficient construction uh, system, which could be you know one approach, but it's also about tracing the chain of decisions and of processes that lead from you know where uh, a metal sheet was done, uh, who transported it, who sold it, how it you know, how it was sold, in which size, in which, you know, type of manner and payment and so on, to end up in the hands of uh, a person with, you know, building an informal house. And, and how, by understanding that and making some changes in that system, you can potentially transform that sheet into a more sustainable or a cheaper and at the same time more sustainable or, or more safe uh, material and at the same time you know as a result of that start having a, a deeper impact into that whole system so it's that's value of design as well it's a, it's a different perspective of it but we are i believe it's our responsibility to be the ones who to explain that i'm finding all too often the most creative folks i talk to nowadays are developers it's not the yeah, architect. yeah. Um, by the time they've hired the architect the, the the vision is already on the table the program of the building and the and the way it connects with the community and the systems to elevate its performance and its environmental story, all those are coming from the developer themselves. And the architect is just taking it as a brief, I think, as you described earlier. And, you know, the other thing that's true is very often those are architects that have gone to work for developers, but we somehow no longer think of them as an architect. And yet that's all of that's architecture and we need to value them. We need to value these architects that are stretching out of the conventional roles in, 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 you know, of a traditional design practice and say, no, there's a role for an architect to play a leadership role in government, in politics, in, in uh, the development industry, in the construction industry. We should be, we should be spreading our, our voices throughout because then together we will collectively change the impact of design and process. Um, and, and impact and meaning. Actually, uh, very interestingly, you were saying that key of, a lot of the key decisions have been taken. I was thinking, you know, another thing that just to start, you know, kind of wrapping up the conversation and, and, and rounding it up, we started with leadership. And I think one of the, when, when one asks a student or another person what leadership is, there's obviously all the component we've already mentioned, but there's also another component, which is being willing to and actually knowing how to take some risk 
So the notion of risk is, is key. And it's not about, you know, jumping off the cliff, but it's about willing to take that action, that responsibility and that long, you know, long run while leading others at the same time. And in, in the case, for instance, of development, uh, it's financial risk. In the case of what new architectural you know, models or practices might be, it might be about partnering with other, other people in a, in a shareholder you know, agreement to uh, start a venture that is related with the built environment or with design mm-hmm. that is not only, you know, uh, the, the consultancy model. Obviously, the consultancy model is extremely necessary it will it, it is still a big, very big part of the of our industry and it will remain for good of course but even within that model there's also that that notion of risk and understanding the relationship between risk and value creation risk and value capture and understanding how that affects the way your company as well works and so on i think that's that's also the, there's room there for another conversation but it's very important yeah i agree i mean i think to me the the Two things that often, when I reflect on where we've come to as a practice, the two things that often feel very important to me is one is is how we manage risk and our willingness to assume quite a lot of risk. But, you know, um, and the other is this notion that um, we are a values-based, purpose-driven company, and that we make decisions not to make money, but to make a difference. Making money. When you're driven by purpose, when people understand that you're driven by purpose, the money will come to you if you do the right thing. And if you hold the integrity, the money will come. But mm-hmm. driven purpose, purpose-based companies are the future in my mind. And those things, those two things, risk and purpose, come very much for, for each of us from a, a very personal story. And in, you know, in embracing our individual voices around those two issues are really important. And for students, that's really important to understand what, what is the value I'm most passionate about? And therefore, where do I choose to go work where I can actually realize that those values, those purposes? Actually, one of the books that we're working on about our practice is about the fact that it's a, a bit of a story about risk um, from my own personal story, which is, you know, I was a professional mountain climber. Um, I still- oh, nice. I still ice climb and and do what to many people would be considered very dangerous sports. And it's just like I've done them since I was a kid. It's part of what I love. But I've often wondered if there is a connection of our tolerance to risk in our design practice that relates to my personal tolerance to risk to Mm -hmm. an adventure. And I look at my team and they're all adventurous people and they all have the same kind of spirit of adventure. We even Mm -hmm. give a bonus to our team. We even give a financial bonus to our team to help pay for adventure. It's that important yep. to the way we work. But that spirit of adventure and risk is actually ingrained in who we are that's allowed us to take all kinds of risks that around pushing new directions for the practice of architecture and construction, even joining Katerra, that I think you're right, is very, is very important. And we, and in our case, it's born of, of our personal stories. There's a very, maybe one of the world's most famous current architects who I don't know if I'm going to name him or not, but he uh, he was in a bar and he met a friend of mine. This is a true story. And the friend said, oh, what do you do? And he said, well, I'm a professional base jumper, which is obviously a high risk sport. Yeah. And after a while, he said, no, 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 I'm actually, well, I'll just say it. I'm actually Bjarke Ingels. I've always loved that story because I've always wanted to ask Bjarke, why did he pick professional base jumper? And is it because he has an inherent risk-taking character that has allowed him to push new boundaries, to be the success he's become, to try new things, that lack of fear that you would have to be a base jumper, Mm -hmm. is that how he sees himself in his practice? 
And I've always wanted to ask him that question because I just think the answer is probably yeah. That you know yeah. he's he's made such a footprint on our profession because he's willing to put it out there, try things, yeah. do new things, be himself. Yeah. You know, I have a lot of respect for that, and that's about a, a willingness to to push our yeah. boundaries and take risks. I would like to thank Michael and Geronimo for encouraging future generations to address current challenges by exploring new modes of practice and an entrepreneurial mindset to approach their professional career. If you'd like to learn more about the topics discussed in this conversation, I highly recommend you check out the IE School of Architecture and Design website, and especially the information on our Master in Business for Architecture and Design. This space was produced by IE School of Architecture and Design, its Center for Sustainable Cities and UrbanNext.net. Check out the description for the links related to the discussion from this session. If you like the episode, follow us on your preferred podcast platform and share it with your network. The Urban Next Exchanges series is created by Ricardo de Besa and myself, Marta Bouges. Feel free to contact us via email at inputbox at urbannext.net if you want to comment on the podcast or share your work with us. Thank you for listening.